You're listening to Leverage. To Leverage. To Leverage. An ASA Studios production. Welcome to Leverage, ASA's podcast covering the politics of aging. I'm Amy Herr, ASA board member, co-chair of its public policy committee and director of health policy at West Health. About a year ago, ASA and West Health released a special issue of Generations Journal on older adults and America's healthcare cost crisis. So much has changed since then, and the need to address healthcare costs has become more urgent than ever. Please join ASA and West Health as we talk healthcare policy and politics and get experts' ideas on the direction to take for better, more sustainable healthcare as we age. Thanks, Amy. I'm Peter Caldas, CEO of the American Society on Aging and the host of Leverage. High healthcare costs, social isolation, loneliness, food insecurity, malnutrition, and issues related to housing have impacted older people for decades. But over the past year, the COVID-19 pandemic has made these issues even worse. In this episode of Leverage, we explore America's healthcare cost crisis and common sense ways we can lower costs and enhance care for all Americans as we age. We also cover the latest developments in California's statewide effort to build a master plan for aging, a 10-year blueprint that will help guide state government, local communities, private organizations, and philanthropies to build environments that promote healthy aging. California is among the first handful of states to build a plan in response to our aging society, following a process that can serve as a model for other states and the federal government. A little more than a year ago, ASA and West Health released a special issue of Generations Journal diving into America's healthcare cost crisis in the context of our aging society. Today on Leverage, I'm joined by Shelley Lyford, President and CEO of the Gary and Mary West Foundation, and Tim Lash, President of the West Health Policy Center. Welcome to Leverage, Shelley and Tim. Great. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Great to see you, Peter. So we're going to cover many issues today, but I wanted to start with a big one, uh, and that is just how high healthcare costs have gotten. Tim, how do these costs impact older Americans, and and really who else is affected by these rising costs? Great question, Peter. We we certainly spend entirely too much on healthcare. The, The numbers can be hard to wrap your head around. At a national level, we spend about $4 trillion on total healthcare expenses. If you look at things that you know many of us interact with on a daily basis, like prescription drugs, we we spend over four hundred billion. The the problem is, you know, that is unsustainable today. We see, you know, seniors and uh, you know just adults borrowing at a level uh, that's unacceptable. You know, eighty eight billion dollars a year uh, to cover healthcare expenses. But what's even more concerning is the trajectory. If you look at where healthcare costs are going by twenty forty, we could spend upwards of twelve trillion dollars on total national healthcare expenditures, which is is not sustainable. When I think about seniors, it's it's a challenge for them in terms of the total spend, but part of it is that we're spending on the wrong areas, right? Uh, so, you know, we know that medical interventions contribute to, you know, maybe 
15, 20% of healthcare outcomes. It's the investments in the broader supports around the senior that make you know, an even larger difference. The social supports, the, the, the network, the community-based organizations. And unfortunately, you know, while we spend a lot in, in the United States uh, you know, compared to other countries, we don't spend it necessarily in the right areas and certainly not in the right areas for, for seniors. Tim, let's get a little granular. What are some of the main drivers of these skyrocketing healthcare costs? What, what do we know uh, also about how the pandemic has changed these costs? Sure. So I, I'd say it's three things. You know, first is how we pay for healthcare. The second is just you know the the culture of of medicine in in the U.S. And then the third is the the willingness to to act to really drive meaningful change. On how we pay, you know, we, we operate a fee-for-service healthcare payment system by and large in, in the United States, which means we pay for activity. Physicians make money, hospitals make money when we have medical interventions. And that doesn't necessarily promote you know, value-based care or, or it, we're not paying for the outcomes that we're getting, we're paying for the, the, for the activity. And that, that can drive profits very high, but what certainly happens is we have healthier profits but you know, ultimately, you know, sicker you know individuals, and certainly sicker seniors. And if you look at the you know just as one metric, the life expectancy in the United States versus you know other developed countries, uh, you know we're towards the we're towards the bottom. Yet we spend much more. So we're, we're paying for the wrong for the wrong outcome. Uh, you don't pay for activity. You want to pay for the the value. You know the clinical outcomes that you get. On the culture of medicine, there's a perception, you know, one amongst providers, but you know, I think more importantly amongst you know the consumers of healthcare, including seniors, that more is better, right? That in every case we should be, you know, consuming more tests, doing more procedures. You know, the bleeding out of edge of technology is going to be, you know, sort of the confer the best outcome. And it's simply not the case. Sometimes simple investments in nutrition and, uh, you know, just addressing social isolation and other things have, you know, very material impact on the health outcomes that one can expect to achieve. And then finally, this willingness to act. Um, you know, we we don't really have, you know, the ability in the US to constrain price, right? You know, we look at drugs, we don't negotiate the price of drugs, you know, Medicare does not there's, there's limits on what, you know, even the private sector can do there. We see hospitals where they have, you know, significant share, you know, within a market service area, you know, really just exploiting, uh, you know, that, that sort of dominant market position uh, to gouge uh, employers and, and consumers of healthcare in a way that just contributes to, you know, that, that current $4 trillion spend. And I would say, just to add, Peter, on this front, um, the pandemic has truly shined a light on the fragility of our healthcare system. So while that light is, is shining bright, I think we've also found a lot of opportunities where we can go in and we can um, create or leverage solutions that make a lot of sense, like telehealth. I think all of us in this country know um, the cost of, of isolation with respect to um, depression and loneliness. And loneliness has the same effect on your body as smoking 17 cigarettes a day. And if we can assure that, that we're keeping our seniors and our entire communities um, connected in a way that's meaningful, I, I think that's a huge opportunity. And that's something that we've at West Health and the foundation have really focused on throughout the pandemic. That's so important to remind folks of how the pandemic has exacerbated um, social isolation and the 
the the healthcare, the side effects of it all. Um, I want to I want to go back to something you said, Tim, about trying to basically reverse the trend of these rising costs and, and a number of things that we should be doing. From a policy perspective, uh, you wrote in Generations Journal that uh, lowering drug costs, accelerating the adoption of value-based care, and increasing price transparency are three sort of obvious things we should be doing. Given where we are today, is, is that still possible? Do you think these, these reforms are still in play? They have to be. Uh, the trajectory of the you know, national healthcare spend, as, as I said, just isn't sustainable. And what's I think so elegant about the the three opportunities, Peter, that you just highlighted, you know, addressing drug spending, you know, value-based care and transparency, are that they're very timely in a in a COVID environment. So drug spending, why is it important? One, you know, it hits people's pocketbooks every time they go to the pharmacy. Uh, the, the pharmaceutical sector is the most profitable sector uh, within our economy. Even if you st- stripped uh, you know, a trillion dollars worth of sales over a 10-year period out of it, it still would be the most profitable sector uh, with, within our economy. So there's, there's opportunity uh, to, to lower the spend there and, and maintain R&D. We've, we've done you know, studies to, to, to prove that out at the same level. We can have the same innovation, even with lower spend on, on drugs and ultimately not be bankrupting uh, individuals. And from a COVID, you know, sort of policy opportunity, the savings associated with, you know, controlling drug spend for Medicare could be used to pay for some of the other reliefs, you know, for small business, for education, to to name two uh, areas uh, that are going to be so important as we, you know, try to steer this country out of the pandemic. As it relates to value-based care, I go back to, you know, a point, you know, comparing fee-for-service to, you know, sort of, you know, paying for the outcomes that, that we expect. What we found during COVID is that those organizations that were already under value-based constructs, um, ACOs and, and other risk taking organizations, they fared much better with COVID because they had already proactively made the investments to be able to project care into the community. Shelley mentioned telehealth, you know, a, a critical intervention during COVID. Uh, they've also embraced, you know, sort of the, the broader supports that were necessary to address social isolation and other things. And I think the timing is appropriate. If we look at the historical major reforms in, in healthcare, so you had the uh, prospective payment, which came in in the 80s, and the affordable Care Act, you know, all of these were under the backdrop of uh, the Medicare Trust Fund report, right? And uh, what we'll see this spring is that the Medicare Trust Fund report will, will be released, and it will probably show, we, we anticipate that the trust fund will go, will be insolvent in the year 2024, so just three years from now. And that, you know, is going to provide a backdrop uh, that really sort of motivates right Congress to look at opportunities like accelerating value-based payment uh, structures to to really address that. And then the, the third area mentioned is transparency. We at West view transparency less as a solution and more as a necessary condition, right? You can have fabulously transparent markets that are also fabulously expensive, but it's hard to imagine that we're going to get to a place where we're, we're paying for the outcomes that are commensurate with the, the investment without first having you know, some visibility to what those prices are. And we're making some progress there. There was legislation that passed at the end of uh, last year uh, around surprise billing, you know, major 
you know, improvement, but there's more that can be done. You know, Tim, you, you mentioned timing, and uh, it strikes me that uh, federal policymakers often mm, are slower than some of our state friends in our local communities. And so I know, Shelley, you know, West Health has been an instrumental part of California's master plan for aging. Could you just share with our listeners who may not be in California what the plan is and how it came to be? Yeah, thank you. So Peter, as you know, California is the fifth biggest economy in the world. We also have 40 million people in our state, many of whom are over the age of 60. Every eight seconds, somebody turns 65 in our country. And looking at our very big state, we, you know, quickly came to the conclusion that we need to have a plan in place to have better coordinated care for seniors and for families who want to age and live their whole lives in the state of California. So that's patchwork of services right now. Services do exist. However, it's very hard to find them, to reach them, to get them, to coordinate them. And um, a, a cohort of us came together and said, there has to be a better way forward. We've got to put a plan in place. So in 2018, the Gary and Mary West Foundation, along with the SCAN Foundation based out of Long Beach, came together and created really this kind of action opportunity called We Stand with Seniors. And at the time, the gubernatorial candidates, um, Mr. Cox and Mr. Newsom, uh, pledged with us that they would stand with seniors in our state. And they would, they would create a platform in their respective administrations that were focused on seniors. And that came to reality. When Mr. Newsom became Governor Newsom, it truly was just a few, in his acceptance speech, he did say, I stand with seniors. And then a few months later, he created an executive order to create a master plan for aging. So it was really the, the advocacy efforts and the education efforts of these two foundations that came together and said, listen, we need to make this a priority in our state the fifth biggest economy in the world. And, um, and since that time, when he created the executive order, he then created a stakeholder advisory committee, which had about 30 experts from across the state and various uh, portfolios of expertise of academia, from medicine, from um, uh, housing, um, transportation, a whole host of different things that all of us need in order to be su to successfully live in our in our communities. And we came together for about 12 months and we created a master plan for aging. And it is truly a bold commitment to redefine aging in our state. It's a 10 year blueprint and it is focused on state agencies with budgetary authority working together to implement over 130 initiatives in five areas. And the five areas include housing for all ages and stages, health reimagined, inclusion and equity, not isolation, caregiving that works, and then finally, affordable aging. 
So truly, this plan addresses aging holistically. And Tim and I always talk about this, and everyone at our foundation in West Health, aging is living. It's living. And, and so this, this whole idea of us kind of being afraid to talk about getting old or not wanting to address what it's like being old, it's like we're just kind of cutting our nose off to spite our face. And here, this plan shows the opportunities for the entire community to create a, a different way of living and a different culture moving forward um, and embracing growing older. Um, and so we're breaking down those barriers of ageism along the way as well. And uh, I think the thing that's most exciting for West Health and all of those people who have worked so hard to create the master plan for aging is that it is not a document that is going to sit on a shelf and gather dust. We're very focused on implementation. And to that end, we have over 130 initiatives um, kind of within the bigger plan that are going to be implemented over the next two years. And West Health is going to help the state and all of the stakeholders kind of keep their feet on the fire um, by creating a host of data dashboards that focus and show very in, in a very transparent way how we are doing with implementation. We're measuring our success and we're going to focus on that. Um, so very excited to be leading um, the country and implementing really a one-of-a-kind plan that we hope to transport across all states. Shelly, just on that really important point, California is a nation state. Yeah. And you know, scale does matter. And the opportunity to create and then deploy a master plan on aging in a state the size of California really does, you know, provide the evidence, right? And the learnings to allow other states that might not be as large, right, to take on similar you know, activities, but also for the nation uh, to, you know, learn from California and you know, take steps for a more national master plan. Absolutely, absolutely. We're we're really excited about that opportunity. And you know, we created this during this time of despair, and you know, during COVID, and and who was the kind of suffered the most under COVID were our, were our state seniors. Um, and so we were able to really focus on those things. That what could we do better, like telehealth. Like the creation of geriatric emergency departments, like better coordinated care, like nutrition, like addressing isolation, all of those things, which were really getting, a, um, you, you know, you could just have this light shining on all of those things during COVID. They just came to the surface in an even greater way. And um, our plan addresses those things. I'm so glad that you, you mentioned um you know, that this is such an opportunity for other states to learn from California's, you know, leadership as well as your own foundation's leadership. I mean, it takes so many key players to drive a plan like this forward. I'm wondering if you could just share, you know, your number one or number two tips uh, for other leaders in other states that they should follow and trying to get their own plan going, right? What are, what are some, maybe some pitfalls to avoid or just, just I'm curious from your experience sort of in it. All right, so I love that question because I think a lot of people from other states, let's just say from my home state of Vermont, will say, uh, yeah, 
what are we going to, we live in a state filled with green mountains and snow and maple syrup, and we have 750,000 people. What are we really going to learn from California? California is such an incredibly diverse state. We have got areas that are rural, more rural than the New England states. Um, and I think that what we have found is a huge opportunity where we can create public-private partnerships. And you can do that in any state and in any county. And in fact, that is what we, West Health and the Foundation are doing with our county to roll out a new vaccine center. And I think that we'll talk about that in a few minutes, Peter, but with respect to other states replicating or learning from our blueprint, we have called this a blueprint. We've called our master plan a blueprint. We will send it out to every state, every county, every municipality in this, in this country because there are learnings and best practices that can be applied in every community. And there is the, the workbook and the steps to show how you move forward in creating a public-private partnership, how you can garner support from certain in, in certain um, government agencies to roll programs out. Um, and so that's what I think is so exciting about this. We've kind of, to an extent, we've created a bit of an easy button. And I think everyone loves an easy button. And and we will uh, put up all of it on our website. ASA wants to be a part of disseminating these best practices. We think other states, like my home state of Florida, could learn from California's lead here. We know there are other pretty sophisticated states that are that are doing sort of their version of this. I suspect Colorado to a certain extent, Massachusetts to a certain extent. But I think about my my birth state of Pennsylvania as well. These are all states that have huge populations of older adults that could benefit from this kind of strategic thinking, particularly with leaders like, like yourselves. I mean, I think this is just a fantastic model. Um, I, I want to sort of tie this, though, to where we started, uh, and that, Tim, is on healthcare costs. How, how do you think, whether it's the master plan for aging or uh, generally, what, what other advocacy opportunities or policy de developments do you think um, we could deploy or, or rely on um, that can improve uh, healthcare costs? Sure, Peter. So I think the timing is right because COVID has illuminated some of the fractures and flaws that exist and have long existed in our healthcare system in a new way. So there's 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 new filters that we can look at just the current state of things. So let's you know, peel them back. One is you know, just what isn't working with our healthcare system. And there's there's a lot, right, in terms of the lack of coordination, fragmented care, payment for the activity. And that's something that's not new at all to seniors because you're just, you know, on average, you know, the older you are, the more healthcare you consume, and therefore the more experience you have navigating a fractured system. Uh, with COVID, even the younger, you know, sort of consumers of healthcare have now experienced some of those, those fractures. So I think the timing is right in that there's just more awareness, right? Um, and potentially more recognition of the need to change that system vis-a-vis uh, -vis where we may have been just, you know, a few years ago. So that's the first lens, right? Just, you know, there's more people that know we got to do something. The second is, you know, COVID 
when we went into COVID, there was a lot of debate as to what's going to happen with healthcare spending. Are we going to spend more? Are we going to spend less? Is it going to change? And I think if you look at the data in the aggregate at this point, uh, we will have spent less, uh, you know, in, in 2020 versus 2019 on, on healthcare. And, uh, you know, that, that has some negative effects. There are people that did not access healthcare, you know, for chronic conditions and other things that needed to because of some of the, the constraints that were put in place. Uh, but as Shelley mentioned, we've seen, you know, sort of restrictions and regulations around, you know, sort of telemedicine, you know, been removed, right? And we found other ways to project care into the community at a much lower cost in a much more agile way. And, uh, you know, that's resulted in, you know, people accessing the healthcare system in a new way, but, you know, hopefully in a less expensive way. And certainly, you know, we've seen, you know, the, the rate of telemedicine hasn't, you know, been sufficient to offset even in-person visits in terms of historically where we've been. So we're we're seeing savings around there. We're certainly seeing savings around out-of-pocket expenses. So you have a proof point, right? That that you know, as a as a country, we were spending more. Now we're spending less, and we're doing it because we're we're deploying healthcare in a different way. And I, and I think that just you know, you have to look at the scoreboard and say that that is you know sort of evidence that things can be different. different. And then the, the third, I'd say, is just the agility that community-based organizations uh, and you know um, and and healthcare providers have demonstrated, you know, during the, the pandemic, there's a real opportunity to reflect on, you know, sort of what has worked and what hasn't worked and, and use that to inform some, you know, sort of durable, you know, change to, you know, how we pay for healthcare and, and how healthcare is accessed. And I, you, you mentioned, Shelley, the, the vaccine clinic. We, we operate a PACE program, Program for All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly here in, in San Diego, which really deals with the most frail seniors, you know, in, in a community those that would otherwise be in an institutional setting. And we were very proactive within that program to ensure that we would have access to the vaccine and the infrastructure to be able to you know, start to bring our population out of this pandemic. But what we quickly realized is that you know, seniors have been you know, affected at disproportionately hard, you know, by, by COVID. Uh, and they're also struggling at a disproportionate level navigating their way out of this pandemic, which is getting sort of vaccination. And why is that? Because, you know, there's a technology divide. Many people don't have the ability to sort of access, you know, sort of the internet or some of these scheduling softwares. They don't have someone to help them just sort of navigate, you know, sort of, you know, even where to go because it's, 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 very fractured. And what we decided to do was partner with the county of San Diego and the local 211 system, which is a, a call in line that can provide some of these supports uh, to provide a much more streamlined process for seniors in San Diego uh, to, to access the, the, the vaccine. So we are breaking down the technology barrier and the transportation barrier, and we're able to provide much needed life-saving services um, to the most fragile in, in our communities. Um, so it's exciting work. And again, this also shines a light on the opportunities that we have with creating public-private partnerships. We're doing this with an amazing community-based organization, 211, who knows our community, who knows the needs, who knows the services that we have access to and that we don't have access to, where the gaps are, and the, the county. I love to hear that. And I think um, if I may add another word to your list of why this is um, so groundbreaking, it's also about leadership, Shelly and Tim. It's leadership in in what West Health is doing. We've highlighted how you're involved in, in leading on solving for systemic issues at the national level. You're, you're leading in part of a multi 
a stakeholder process at the state level, and you're leading on on COVID vaccine vaccinations at the local level. And I think, to me, the common denominator there is your leadership. So thank you for your leadership on these issues on all these fronts. Um, so I'm just extremely grateful for the work you're doing in California, for your partnership with ASA, uh, and just for the impact you're having nationally. So Shelly, Tim, thank you so much for joining me today on Leverage. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. And to all our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to Leverage, the podcast on the politics of aging, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>